yeah, you're doing good today. But if you look at the roadmap to see, you know, what's the future look like? What does the GPS of your career, of your life look like? Are you going to be able to avoid those obstacles? Are you going to be prepared to maybe be just completely disrupted? Maybe you'll lose your job because of automation. That is probably going to be one of my new favorite phrases. And for anyone in today's world of work, whether you have your own business or whether you're employed by someone else, you know that navigating the GPS of your career is anything but a simple route. In fact, the road is filled with digital disruptions acting as blind spots along the way. I recently read that the Bureau of Labor Statistics said that the average worker currently holds 10 different jobs before the age of 40. And not only is this number projected to grow, but so many of the types of jobs that are going to emerge over the next decade are completely unknown and are probably going to be created by people like me and you. How do you navigate change? It's a question we think about often and one that today's world expects us to be comfortable with. The challenge, however, is where do you begin and how do you develop the mindset and skill set to be successful? Welcome everyone to the Sprint to Success with Design Thinking podcast. I'm your host, Saba Kidwai. Join me each week as I share the stories and strategies from the world's leading researchers and practitioners about why they believe the answer lies in practicing design thinking. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Sprint to Success with Design Thinking. In this episode, I'm so excited to introduce you to Jim Maroos. Jim was named one of the most influential people in banking, and he's one of the top five fintech influencers to follow. What I love the most about this episode is how Jim reframes the purpose of why you should have a personal brand, calling it one of the most important self-education tools that's going to be critical, he says, to helping you thrive and stay relevant in the age of disruption. I was actually ready to release this episode last week. However, with the tragic passing of Kobe, his daughter, and the other passengers, I couldn't help but pause and reflect back on the conversation I had had with Jim. So I decided to wait a week and reframe how I wanted to share this conversation. Despite having lived in Los Angeles for most of my life, I was never really a huge basketball or Lakers fan. I know, don't kill me. However, it says so much about a person that despite not knowing them personally or despite not really being even a diehard fan, that you're completely shaken by their loss in a way that's really hard to describe. And as I was scrolling my feeds and reading the different quotes and hearing the different videos that people were sharing, there was one quote in particular that really resonated with me. I'm sure many of you have seen it, but it's the one that says, the most important thing is to try and inspire people so that they can be great at whatever they want to do. And this quote really left me wanting to learn so much more about Kobe and his life and just what other things it was that he was thinking. As I read more and more about Kobe, what I came to realize was that he really modeled for the world what it meant to be great. The hard work, the sacrifices, and sometimes even the creation of an alter ego to help you get through the darkest moments that really catch you by surprise when everything seems to be going so perfect. 
Over and over, I heard people refer to Kobe as Black Mamba. And so, naturally being curious, I googled where the name came from for him. It turns out that Black Mamba was actually a nickname that he gave himself so that he could separate his life on and off the court while he was going through the different case he was going through in 2003. Black Mamba, I realized, really became Kobe's brand, a brand that stood for greatness, that really inspired millions of other people as we've seen over the past two weeks. And really this alter ego of Black Mamba really allowed him to define for himself who he was, but more importantly, not just who he was, who he wanted to be. This past week, as I reflected on the journey behind my own personal brand, I came to realize that my own story was not that much different. Asmus Q was born during one of the lowest points in my life, both personally and professionally. Personally, I was dealing with my parents' divorce, and professionally, I was a new teacher trying to survive a brutal recession. The circumstances during my parents' divorce led me and my three sisters to live with our father. Not realizing that our mother wanted to have nothing to do with us, the community that we grew up in was full of so much judgment and so many accusations about the kind of people we were. And it was really in this moment and going through that entire experience that I almost felt like my whole identity completely disappeared. I would ask myself questions such as, are these the same people that I once used to call my friends? Are these the same leaders and adults that I once respected and looked up to? And it was really in this moment, like I said, that I felt like my entire identity, everything I knew to be true, everything that I thought I was, everything I thought I would be had really been challenged. And I really struggled between the judgments about who people thought I was versus who I knew I was. And it wasn't until I began thinking about all of this this past week that I realized that it was the same time that I started the Asmus Q brand. And as I reflect back, Asmus Q, now that I see it, was really the beginning of me defining for the world who I wanted to be, what my values were, and how I wanted to be seen and known. It was really through the journey of creating Asmus Q that I recognized and developed strengths and skills that I had never even known were inside of me. It was where my passion for speaking, for education, and for creating a world driven by empathy was really born. It brought me outside of my Orange County bubble into a world where I would meet people from all walks of life united with a common purpose, creating a better world for ourselves and our future generations through disrupting education. Asmus Q changed the trajectory of my career. It took me from doing work to doing art, as Seth Godin would say. And it led to what has probably been some of the most incredible experiences of my life, and I imagine many more to come. I also really like how Gary Vaynerchuk phrases the idea of a personal brand as being your reputation. It's something you create, it's something you define, and it's something you own and you alone, no one else. In this episode, I'm really honored to have Jim Maroos share his journey through disruption. Jim is an internationally recognized financial industry strategist. He's the co-publisher of The Financial Brand. He's the owner of The Digital Banking Report, 
and he's also the host of the Banking Transformed podcast. He is a sought-after keynote speaker, author, and recognized authority on disruption in the financial services industry. And just in case you're not from the financial services industry, trust me, you're going to want to stick around because this episode is for everyone. Jim has been a contributor to Forbes, CNN, CNBC, The Wall Street Journal, The Economist, and so many other news outlets. He's with us here today to share his journey of disruption and why he believes building your personal brand is the key to lifelong learning and staying relevant in a rapidly changing world. I hope you enjoy this very special episode with Jim Maroos. Hi, Jim, and welcome to Sprint to Success. I am so excited to have you here today. I'm glad to be here. It's exciting that um, I'm part of the early stage of your podcast series, and um, being a podcaster myself, this is kind of exciting to be on the air end. Yes, you are, and you definitely provided me with a lot of guidance and advice, so thank you so much. Well, thank you. All right. So one of your really big themes is this idea of disrupt yourself. And it's not just something that you preach to others, but it's really something that through following you online, I have really seen you live and practice. So I would love if you could tell us a little bit about your personal journey in disrupting yourself and why you believe others should do so as well. Well, as you know, and a number of my followers know, um, I started a, a, a really a disruption process 10 years ago. Um, I was 55 and realized that my perception of 55-year-olds was that many of them were looking to retirement, probably were not updating their, their mindset and their capabilities as they, they should, and therefore slowly but surely became more and more irrelevant to what was going on in the marketplace. And I, that was not the position I wanted to have. At the time, I was um, selling to the financial services industry, an industry that, that actually I was been involved with since the beginning of my career, either as a banker or selling to bankers or consulting for bankers. And so I decided um, at that point that I would start to write about what my perception of what was going on in the marketplace was. So what ended up happening is I started a blog and I started writing articles about my my observations of the industry, and I used that as a way to get endorsed organizations that I was hoping to visit. But a lot of my articles really were writing about other people's research. So I would take, a, let's say, a McKinsey research study or a Forrester research study. I'd write about it from my perspective, but link it to the study that was actually being available. And what I found was this Cliff Notes version of research became valuable to my readers, and over time, over a period of about two and a half to three years, I, I increased the, the readership from zero to over a million uh, page views a year. At the same time, um, I decided to also purchase a research company that allowed me to take the same perspective and saying, okay, let me do research around what's going on in the industry, and let me then write about what this research found and deliver it on a subscription basis to the same base of retail bankers. And during this process, around six years ago, I also was fortunate enough to connect with a gentleman by the name of Jeffrey Pilcher, 
who also had built a, a digital publication platform, but his platform was built on a advertising foundation that allowed it, me to actually make money on my writing. So about six and a half, seven years ago, I, I really moved from being a casual writer that was selling banking services, marketing services, the banking industry, to being a co-publisher of the financial brand, the owner of the digital bank report, which both of which provided me a, the ability to really self-educate over time and make it so that the exposure to the marketplace and the ability to continue to write made a living for me. So really over this period of time, I, I realized that the education process almost by itself provided the foundation for a career. And between the co-publishing of financial brand and um, being the owner and, and CEO of the Digital Banking Report, this provided a really good foundation. And what I did find over this time, is at the same time that I was doing this transformation, social media came into being. And so I used social media to promote the fact that I was writing these articles and to get more viewers and more followers, I guess it would be. And became a um, what some people consider and rank me as a social media influencer in the banking industry, something that obviously didn't exist 10 years ago. And while I am by no means considering myself to be an, an influential person in the industry or a person that influences others, because I'm a publisher, I, I do have an influencer status within social media, which allows me or allowed me to expand into speaking. Um, globally to the banking industry. So that gave a third prong to my education, but also my distribution process where between the financial brand, the digital banking report, and my speaking, it, it really is an exciting opportunity to expand my learnings while still, what I'll say, paying it backwards to the, the industry that served me so well in the beginning of my career. Yeah. And I can tell from, like, I really enjoyed following your articles and it's just so interesting that, you know, a lot of people wouldn't really even maybe perhaps associate, you know, the idea of being an influencer with say like the banking industry, which, you know, I'm really hoping that your story really helps people open up, um, open up the opportunity really to be able to see how so many things can be applied across really all different industries that need these kinds of thought leaders to really guide us through this kind of disruption. But I'd love for you to share a little bit about like, what, what was the learning curve for you like in creating that content and kind of making that shift? What was interesting is, is some of the things that have happened over the last 10 years were, I wouldn't say necessarily by mistake, but they were timed um, relatively brilliantly in retrospect. I'm not too sure if I planned it out all that well. So what happened was <clears throat> I found that the building of a personal brand um, was was very important in this entire process. And building that personal brand was actually saying, where am I going to focus my energy? What am I really passionate about? And one thing I was very passionate about is I've always been a, an avid learner. I always wanted to be a spokesperson in the industry that could help other people learn. So kind of being a combination of a teacher and also a learner, that, that my personal brand really was about how can I help retail bankers and business people in general improve their ability to react to the marketplace changes. And sometimes in the marketing perspective, sometimes in a innovation perspective, 
<clears throat> sometimes even in an operational perspective, how can these people improve their lives through doing better? So the, the, the process itself was one where the education is something that I always wanted to do on an ongoing basis. The distribution of that knowledge made it so I had to keep on learning. So, you know, once you empty the bucket of what you know in the marketplace, you have to fill that bucket up again. So it became an evolutionary and, and uh, an evolutionary process that, that continued to reinforce my personal brand. And, and what was interesting about this, and this is important for your audience, is the ability of a personal brand does not mean you have to start a business. The ability of a personal brand is important, even with the business that you're currently working with, to be able to distinguish your capabilities, your contribution to this business at a time when you're not really guaranteed what your role will be going forward. So as we've talked about you know, offline before, is the importance today where jobs are changing so quickly, changes happening in the industry so quickly, and the transformation of businesses are happening because of digital technologies, because of robotics and automation, and because of AI, that the importance of building a, a perspective of who you are, be it on LinkedIn, be it on Twitter, be it simply on a podcast or a, a written document, it's important for every person to take this step because unless you self-educate, you will be disrupted in a marketplace that is changing so rapidly that even middle-class employees or middle-stage, middle-management employees that have been with businesses 10, 15, 20 years could potentially be disrupted. And so this allows a person to really take control of their identity and their future by, by continually learning and by distributing that learning in different types of content to make it so the marketplace knows that you're a, a master of your domain. Absolutely. I love that. And I really love that relationship that you brought up between the idea of cultivating a personal brand and going on that journey and really having it be one about self-educating yourself. Because, you know, like I've shared with you before, you know, in, in, even in starting just this podcast, I'd say this is probably the one medium and this is the one process where I feel like I've learned so much. Um, I really hope others are too, but I mean, the value that it's just brought me personally has been absolutely phenomenal. So I have a question for you. So somebody who perhaps, you know, isn't doesn't own their own business and would like to maybe, you know, think about how to begin building their personal brand within the industry they're in, or, you know, even if they're a student or no matter where they're really at in their academic or professional career, what, what, where would you recommend that they start or what advice might you have for those who are looking to, okay, well, this is interesting, but oh my God, do I have the time to do this? And the other kinds of concerns that come up. Well, and, and, you know, like Google's my Google and Twitter are my two research sources. So I use Google to, to look up things like personal branding and, and Twitter. If you use a hashtag personal brand, there's a lot of options out there. But I think what you mentioned, it's a very important key. Figuring out what to do is not really the hard part. The hard part is to build the discipline to actually do it and do it consistently and at a cadence that people can recognize. So one important component of, of building a, a, what I'm going to call a personal brand or a, a marketplace value for any person is that just sharing content or building content casually 
where there's no sequence or, or, or rhythm to what you're doing is really not going to serve very well because it gives you the ability to continually give yourself an excuse to not produce, to not do it. What I found in my own personal situation was that I decided to write, have articles published on Mondays and Wednesdays of every week. So what happened is I'd set aside some certain time on a Sunday and on a, on a Tuesday so I could write an article to then publish it, in my case, 12.05 a.m. in the morning so I can get exposure both in, on the Far East, in Europe, and, and the U.S. And whatever that cadence is, it's important to keep it so people who are like you, who follow things. And what's great about LinkedIn is LinkedIn gives you the ability through the development of content to find other people like you that have the same interests and will start to follow you and you'll start to follow them and you work as a group that's very personalized and very customized. And in some cases, even geolocationally similar so that you can build even more content from this. And, and, and people have to remember, this content doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be entirely unique to, to the marketplace. You can write about other people's perspectives and give your slant to it. But I, as I told a friend of mine who, who started writing for Forbes about a year and a half ago, he said, well, you know, I, I started on J January 1st. And I've done it every Monday. But the good news is I, I now have enough done that I can take a week off because I've hit my quota for what Forbes was requesting. Well, the thing I told him was, you don't realize the fact that you have followers that are starting to build, that are expecting to look up and find your content every Monday. In much the same way that my son goes to Barstool Sports and, and looks for the podcasts on, I think it's Mondays and Thursdays and Fridays, he knows exactly when it's going to be posted. And he goes to that site because that's something he enjoys. Well, this is the same case in our situation where in, in saying you want to do it and doing it are two different things, and there needs to be a discipline. And what's important is that unlike the past, whatever we wanted to determine the past to be, where it used to be that your education pretty much took a backseat once you finished university, the marketplace today demands continuous and ongoing education to stay current with what is happening in each person's frame of reference, their business, their career, or maybe where they want to go. And I think that's one thing that we, we don't realize is change is happening faster than ever before, but it's never going to happen as slowly again. You know, just think of what's happened in the last few years. We have cars that can drive themselves. We have rockets that can take off and land themselves. We have mobile devices that we become completely immersed with that were developed 12 years ago. The iPhone is only 12 years old. So this sometimes is overwhelming and we take it for granted, but this is why we have to be prepared because careers, lifestyles, families are gonna be disrupted by the change that's happening all around us. It's, I mean, there is like so much amazing information that you just shared in that last part and your ability to really articulate that as well is phenomenal. And one of the things that I really like that you highlighted is this idea of, you know, families and, you know, people that yes, like, you know, so many different things are going to be disrupted. And one of the things that I think, you know, 
is so great about some of the things you're sharing is the idea that people have an opportunity to be proactive, that you have an opportunity to own the situation, to kind of direct your own path, really, you know, kind of the way you have. You went from being, you know, in a more traditional banking role to now really being sort of like at the forefront of really showing people how banking is evolving, how fintech is evolving, and how all these things are happening. And I think it's a great example for so many. So I have another question for you because you kind of mentioned a little bit earlier on that as you were getting started, that you didn't necessarily make mistakes, but you were trying different things. So you gave some really incredible advice for the people who are just getting started that I now also have to ask you, what advice do you have for people that perhaps have started that journey, are being consistent, and they're just like doing all these things, they're trying all these things, but they're just not quite sure where to take it? Well, I I think the major thing people have to remember is that the only way to really be consistent is to be passionate. Okay, so people will write me and say, you know, I'd like to contribute to the financial brand. Or somebody says, oh, geez, you know, I, I'd like to write some content and, and do some of the things you've done. What should I write about? And that's the wrong place to start. Um, what everybody has to do is do a self-analysis and determine what, what are you passionate about? What are you excited about? You know, what, and it doesn't matter what age you are. For instance, Gary Vaynerchuk, who's known in the marketplace as a person who really understands social media, but he also understands people quite well, gave my son, who who's, was 21 at the time he gave this advice, but he, he's now 22. He gave him a, a video um, FaceTime message that said, Cameron, you know, you're about to enter a new stage of your life, graduate from university. And you're about to take embark on it, an opportunity and a, and a part of your life that very few people can experience, and you're only going to get this experience once in your life. And he said, basically, you're going to be coming out of school without a family, without a, a mortgage, probably without a car payment. Yes, you're going to have you know, your school debt, but the reality is you're going to have an opportunity to change the direction of your entire life at a time when the risk is relatively low. And he said, basically, don't try to take a career that you think is right or that other people say you should take, but don't be afraid to take risks and fail because the, the impact of that failure is lower is going to be any other time of your life. But make sure what you do is you are passionate about what you do. And this is something my my dad told me when, when I was young, he says, never get up in the morning wishing you weren't going to be going to work. And it was an amazing advice. He didn't realize how prolific that was, but the bottom line is, continuously, and we've talked about it, you run into people that say, oh my God, I hate my job. Well, well change it. <laughs> you know, don't, this, we have an amazing world, an amazing country, where at any time you can change the direction of your life based on your passion for going in a different direction. Now, it doesn't mean it's easy by any means, but what it means is it's a whole lot easier if you like where you're going than, than if you don't. And, and you know, I think it's important, and as I said, with every age, because I not only speak to bankers, but I've spoken to high school, I've spoken to high school students, I've spoken to college, universities, classes, and talked about the impact of not only taking on and building your own brand, but more importantly, 
making sure that your transformation process is something that, number one, you're passionate about, and number two, you'll put the effort to show commitment to. Because without those two things, you will fail. And, and, it, and it's a growth process. I mean, in your case, I doubt if your doctoral process required you to do a podcast. <laughs> Why no, did you do it? I would, I would suggest it was because of passion and what you're learning. You know, anybody who follows you realizes that you don't do anything without enthusiasm. It's what drew me to you in the first place was a friend of mine connected us, and I, I saw what you were writing about, what you're posting about, the passion and what you did, the way you communicated. And it, it, it is interesting because that by itself, passion by itself draws followers. I mean, where are you going to a cocktail party? You go to people that seem to be having fun. But what it is is they're having passion about what they live for, and that draws people. How long do you want to stay with next to a person that's saying, oh, my God, my life sucks. I don't want to do this. Well, you know, the, the thing I say is, you know what, it's time to change it. It doesn't matter if that's on a professional level, on a personal level, or even in, in my case, which, you know, we've talked about that I started a year ago, on a, on a physical level. Um, where, you know, the transformation process, I thought I extended a bit, and I decided that my physical condition was not where I wanted to be, and I decided, okay, it's time to, to disrupt another part of my life. And I, I, on a dime, decided I had to change my intake of food, my exercise pattern, and, and the way I viewed health and wellness. And over the last uh, 12 months, I've been fortunate enough through, again, dedication and passion for the process to have lost 55 pounds. I'm not exactly where I want to be, but, but I can feel the difference. I'm off almost all the meds I've ever been on. And again, you know, we get complacent because the world finds ways to cover up this disappointments and things that aren't going well. I mean, in the medical world, it's obvious. We, we have medicines that basically mask symptoms. Well, another option is basically to do the right thing and make it so that there's no masking drugs involved. And, you know, you can reverse aging, you can become healthy, you can live longer, you can enjoy your family for a longer period if you decide to do that. Absolutely. And I think so much of that really comes back to just that like design element, right? Like what, what problems do you see, not just around you for others, but really internally as well, like things that you're passionate about, things, dreams that you've had. And, you know, this is another thing that I think I really enjoy about following you and just like learning from you and following your work is, you know, so many people today talk about these ideas as if it's only for the generations to come, as if all of us, you know, who have gone through college or who are currently in different jobs or, you know, running businesses as if like, oh no, this time isn't for you. And I think one of the things that you really epitomize really well is that you can do this at any stage of your career, that the changes, the technologies, the opportunities today are not just for those who were born into them, but really for those um, who want to make that transition um, as well. And so I have, um, I wanted to kind of ask you a little bit about, um, how do you become comfortable with taking a risk when you are in a bit of an established place? 
So it's actually funny hearing you say that, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk's advice to a 22-year-old was, you know, this is the best time in your life to take risk. I feel like a lot of students today actually feel like that, you know, high school to college period is like a make or break um, time of their life where like if they don't make like the right decisions and they don't do the things that people feel they're supposed to be doing or they've been told they're supposed to be doing that, you know, it's sort of like over for them. So I'm kind of wondering like how you think about taking a risk at a young age and then also for the person who's a bit more established? Well, first and foremost is perspective. Um, you know, I, and, and Gary Vaynerchuk uses um, spicy language in his communication about this, but he, he basically will confront young people and say, you know, how old are you? You know what? If you're under 30, you know, why, why do you think it's the end of the world? You, you, have, you haven't even touched in an educated way that the first 10 years of your post-education process, you have 60 more to go. You know, there's a lot of diversions, a lot of ways to change that, that career path. So, you know, a lot of people say, oh, geez, you know, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to move forward? Well, it's about perspective. Realize, and it's hard when you're young, because, again, you don't have the, the leverage of, of years and years of experience to be able to look back as well as forward and saying, oh, geez, this, this isn't so tough. But, but look at others that have done it. And, and it, if you're young, realize that the perspective is that this is the best time. This is the time you can take the risk. You don't have to, you know, the last thing you need to do is try to say, okay, I'm going to become an entrepreneur and I'm going to become rich and get funding without a concept as to are you going to be happy? Is it really something you want to do? Is it really something that's going to provide a successful career for you? Because what happens is sometimes you're not everybody's made out to be an entrepreneur. I, I certainly wasn't. I, I took another path. I, I some people consider it an entrepreneurial path, but I didn't. I don't build anything. You know, I'm not, I'm not doing rocket science here. But I think it's important for, for from a perspective basis to realize that. When things are good, it's the most important time to make change happen. Now, I, I speak to bankers on an ongoing basis, and the banking industry right now is making a lot of money. Most people are, you know, have been in their careers for years, and they followed up the same path as a lot of people around them. And they have all these like-minded people that have been in the banking industry for 20 years, and they're not feeling any pain. Well, so that doesn't encourage them to make change because they're going – why? Yeah, you're doing good today. But if you look at the roadmap to see, you know, what's the future look like? What does the GPS of your career, of your life look like? Are you going to be able to avoid those obstacles? Are you going to be prepared to maybe be just completely disrupted? Maybe you'll lose your job because of automation. Do you know what the next stage is? You know, as, we, as I travel globally, I, I'm amazed how so many countries now have a, a large and larger group of people that feel like they've been left behind. A lot of times these are people in the agricultural um, area. They could be people that used to be in the manufacturing area. And they're really disgruntled and very upset with the fact that they believe that the marketplace has moved away from them and nobody's prepared them. Well, that's the best example of having to prepare yourself. And I, I'm concerned from the social political basis that we're going to get a whole nother generation of people that aren't going to be prepared for disruption. Absolutely. You know, what, what's interesting is when he, 
When you look at Amazon, they've committed to training 100,000 of their employees to become more digitally aware and more capable to do coding, um, analysis, things of this nature. Why? Because the marketplace now can't provide the number of employees they want, and they would rather prepare their own employees rather than trying to find them in the marketplace. They don't even care if they lose a large percentage of them because it will still be cheaper than going to the marketplace and having to find all these new people. Absolutely. And you know, that that really is the heart and center of my dissertation. But I'll tell you the biggest thing that's kind of come to my mind in listening to you right now is, you know, so many people when they talk about the idea of a personal brand are talking about it from the perspective of what are you doing for others. But what you are proposing is really this idea of building a brand. I mean, you it, it, and it very well may be, I mean, if you do it the right way, that you know, you're ultimately going to get both. But the idea that this is a journey for you, for your self-education, for your growth, so that you're not disrupted. I mean, I don't think I've ever really heard anyone position it that way before. And I think that's like a, I don't know, it's a very revolutionary concept that I think you just unveiled on my podcast. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny because my 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 goal while I wanted to educate myself was trying to educate myself so I can continue to be valuable in the marketplace right. and valuable in the marketplace from the perspective of being able to help others succeed. So my best positioning for helping others to succeed was to get the highest level of education and to motivate others to move forward. So my, my most the majority of my career has been in sales. I've been trying to sell products or services or education or strategies to organizations. Well, now I do it in mass through my educational process and through my different channels, which, as you know, I, not to stand still for too long. Uh, five months ago, I introduced a, a podcast series called Banking Transformed. And one of the biggest compliments I've received from people is the fact that people go, you know, yeah, I, you call it Banking Transformed, but really – you're talking about humans transformed and, and oh, everything wow. that you talk about and, and your guests talk about allows us to realize that, you know, there's everybody can benefit from this. And, it, and it's exciting because that was really my mission. It was to educate myself, have another channel to be able to, to deploy in the financial brand, uh, the, uh, the digital publication or, or maybe in a report or maybe in a future book that I'm supposed to put out this year. And, and I guess the whole concept is the way to provide value to the marketplace is to be the best person you could ever be and help others to do the same. And I love that because I, you know, one of my questions for you actually was what would you say to people who would say, well, you know, Jim's already the one doing this for banking. What room is there for me? And what I love so much about what it is that you're talking about and how you're articulating it is that doesn't even become a question anymore. It doesn't even matter anymore who you're scrolling and watching or who you're listening to. Because this is about you and your journey, there is room for everyone. And so I think there's just so many topics out there and just questions that people hear answers to, but clearly you can tell it just really doesn't resonate. And I think the way in which you're framing all of these conversations and ideas is a way in which just it is so personalized and it is really, you know, just bringing the focus back on you as the individual versus competing with other people and things like that. So one of the things that I thought was really fantastic about just all the different things you've shared is everything I feel like can be culminated so nicely in this recent trip to China, especially the part that you shared about how 
consistent you are with your blog posts because I literally, this is going to air in a few weeks, but I literally woke up this morning and I was like, wow, like he just landed. Like how did he manage to get this amazing article up? It was one of the first articles I read this morning. And what I loved about it was also you talk about this idea of how you experienced a bit of design thinking in China. I'd love for you to share a little bit about how that trip came about and some of the things that you experienced there and what some of your takeaways were. Well, first and foremost, from the concept of, of the learning process and on um, what is happening in the marketplace in China, I think the first thing that you're amazed by, and I went to Shenzhen, uh, I'm sorry, Shenzhen, um, China, which is where a lot of the financial organizations are headquartered, as well as Huawei, which is a telecommunications company that's the one of the biggest telecommunications companies in the world. And what you're immediately struck by is the culture of change and innovation in China. Um, not surprisingly, the culture overall, not the business culture, but the culture overall of people is that many of these people have, have experienced massive amounts of change. They're a highly technical society that, that have embraced um, digital technologies and advancements in in everything from telecommunications to digital communications and, and the way that people interact. You know, you get there and you realize that, oh, but by the way, people don't make phone calls, but you better get on WeChat because that's how everybody communicates. There's nobody that goes through the streets of China that's not carrying their cell phone. It doesn't matter what age it is. But you also have an extraordinarily young populace, especially in, in the, the more dynamic and, and newer cities such as Shenzhen. And, and I think what was amazing was how many parts of a daily life are being transformed because there's a willingness to change. There's a willingness to move forward. There's a willingness in the culture to make a process better. We, we went to a production line where they make mobile phones. And we saw a complete mobile phone line where the mobile phones are coming off the line around 2,400 phones every day. And along this entire line is filled with robots and 13 humans, 13 humans to make a complete mobile phone. It used to be 85 humans on this process, but through the process of Kaizen and, and continual improvement, employees are motivated to improve the processes, even if it disrupts themselves as part of the honor and ability to embrace change. So what's happened is a lot of these people, they'll show up on the board. They motivate people by giving them awards and to, to recognize them. And you'd see that, you know, this one person had, had improved the process by three seconds. This another person has improved the process by 2.5 or two seconds. And what's interesting is the whole culture is that they're okay with change. They're certainly okay with ongoing education. There wasn't a firm we visited that didn't have some kind of university or ongoing education process as part of what their company provides for their own employees. And there are even companies right now that are building huge campuses that are being made for their R&D teams. And in the U.S., we many times will ask companies, how big is your R&D department? They'll state it back to us as far as how many employees they have. Well, in China, you'll get the, in the percentage of employees. And in many companies, it's 20, 30, 40% of their employees 
are on the R&D side, which is where humans have the biggest impact. So it's it's stunning. It's it's stunning by the growth of the of the country. It's stunning by the the underlying culture that transcends what what has happened in the uh, business culture. And it's also interesting that the application of data and analytics for the improvement of a, a consumer's lifestyle is over is the foundation of everything. So. What's happened is all this technology, all this data has been used to basically deliver a new lifestyle to consumers that is better than they would have had otherwise. That may be medical technology. We visited an insurance company that has taken, has taken the insurance process from the beginning of, let's say, a person buying a car all the way through the time when they get rid of the car. The data technology it applies is able to provide a person a better insurance policy than they would get anywhere else. In much the same way that instead of maybe just getting an annual checkup, they have technology that allows monitoring of a person's life the entire time, the entire year from checkup to checkup. So the doctor can place, pinpoint what has happened to your body at different stages where you were what you were doing at the time. They can even have consumers look into a camera and through facial recognition characteristics, they can determine if you're healthy or not. So while some people complain about privacy, the reality is privacy is only a problem if you're not deploying it against value-added services. So if if I give up my privacy of my facial recognition to make myself healthier, it's a pretty good trade-off. We also saw that in the streets that there's cameras everywhere, which freaks people out. It was interesting that every street corner, every street had cameras everywhere on the street. Well, this is the smart city concept. And what that gives is it it gives the city an ability when anything bad happens or even good happens, that immediately there can be reaction to that among the infrastructure. So we saw actually when we were at uh, Huawei, we saw um, a control panel that showed an accident happened. Immediately, it centered in on what happened in the accident. They were able to deploy the exact emergency services personnel that would be needed for that type of accident. They notified the hospital that somebody would be coming to the hospital because this accident, they thought there would be injuries involved. They rerouted the traffic around where the accident would be so it did not disrupt a person's commute. And... They even notified the owners of the car's family that an accident happened. This all happened instantaneously, which allows an organization or a city or a company to be able to react or even predict what the future is going to bring. I love that. And I think it really goes back to the idea of, you know, this idea that if you don't stay up to date with the changes that are happening, you know, disrupt yourself, as you would say, and really self-educate, it becomes really hard then to actually participate in these types of policy decisions. I mean, if you're allowed to, you know, for example, in the United States, you're allowed to, but it becomes really difficult then to be able to even have an opinion, at least an educated one, about policies, about what things should look like and how those will unfold. Because like you said, when change happens so quickly, if you're not really well-educated, you know, especially from a research perspective and just 
all those different elements, it's really hard then to, I think, sort of like be able to inform policy. And so I want to be able to respect your time. So I kind of want to like wrap up a little bit, but I would love for you to kind of, again, go back to that idea of the opportunity pie, as you call it, because I know you talked about this before, but I think it's such an important note to end on because of how well you articulate this. For those who say there's no room for me or somebody else is already doing this, or maybe hundreds of people are already doing this, what what is your advice to those people and what are some of the things you would like to share with them? First off, stay in your path. There is no opportunity out there that can't handle competition and where the opportunity in the marketplace is so narrow that one more entrant would disrupt the whole marketplace. So first off, if you're passionate about what you're going to do, you already have an advantage probably against many who are trying to do the same thing because some people do whatever you're looking to do simply as a job. In addition, what's important is to realize that every single thing in today's marketplace can be improved. So if, if you know, in my case, if what used to be printed publications are better deployed as digital publications and make it so you can get more timely information, that's an improvement. And again, I, I, I can't emphasize enough, and I, I think I said it with every answer, is that the underlying foundation is to do something that you like. And what's important is at a time when most of our jobs are going to be disrupted in some way in the relatively near future, wouldn't it be nice to, to embrace something that you already are passionate or really good at and like and self disrupt yourself rather than just waiting for it to happen, I think that's where the real opportunity is. So let's say you're an accountant at a financial firm and you decide, you know what, you really enjoy antiques a whole lot more than you enjoy your work. Well, what better time to start to build a platform for that communication, that content, than when you have a, a traditional regular paying job and you can build this in your free time. Now, Everybody will say, I don't have much free time. If you're passionate about what the future brings, you find free time. You find time in your day for the things that matter and matter to your family. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting because I think when you look at the opportunity pie, instead of looking over your shoulder around the fact that, oh, my gosh, somebody's already doing this, realize that you have the ability to, number one, learn from them. Number two, improve upon the process. And number three, even if you can not do either one of the other two, I will guarantee in every part of the marketplace that it's not completely saturated. We, we just, it's just not possible. Heck, I, I was just in China. There's a whole market there that most of us haven't tapped into. But you know what's beautiful about global communication right now and telecommunication is it used to be that I'd only be able to hit the markets that were closest to me locally and locationally um, close. Well, now with digital communication, digital technology, you can reach out to the entire world. So again, it, it's, it's a matter of, of making sure that you realize that anything can be done. And it sounds like a motivational speech, but the reality is it's real that anything can be done if you're, if you're passionate about it and if you actually deploy against that, that, your own motivation. 
I'd actually say it's one of the best motivational pieces I've ever heard because of, like I said, the, the way in which you've really framed the conversation. It truly has to be one of the most unique ways in which I have ever heard, and I hear a lot of people all day long, it has to be one of the most unique ways in which I have ever heard anyone frame the idea of the why behind building a personal brand um, and this idea of self-education I think is just so, so, so essential. I mean, it's why I do what I do, you know, because there is really this fear of becoming irrelevant and by being able to, you know, dabble in new things and try things that you're passionate about, the things that you learn along the way are usually things that you never intended to learn, but usually are just the most beneficial. So thank you so much, Jim, for this amazing... I have a a quick question Oh, yes, please do. On this whole subject. Oh, yes. Just a real quick question. When you started your educational process, did you know where this journey was going to go? Absolutely not. You know, and I and I think I talked to you about this. I don't know if I, I'm talking to you about this or not, but it was really interesting to watch somebody from banking because I had actually graduated. So I was like one of those students, you know, like so many from my generation, you know, where our parents told us go to school, get good grades. That's the key to stability in the rest of your life. And, you know, I graduated, I got this amazing job and, you know, I was like, wow, you know, thanks mom and dad, you know, you were right. And, um, a few months later it was the recession and it was like literally my entire life was turned upside down. And, It wasn't really until I read Seth Godin's book, Lynchpin, where everything kind of shifted for me and I started thinking a little bit more about what my unique strengths and value were and how I could position those. And that has been sort of like this ongoing journey that has led me down paths that I never would have imagined. But again, to look to you, we're listening to you now because you're passionate about what you're doing. It is not exactly the path you set out, but it's certainly something you're passionate about. So you're a case in point of exactly what I'm talking about, that you can take any path, but most importantly, make sure it's a path that you enjoy. Because if you don't, you will not succeed at it. Absolutely. And I think it's like one of the things that like is really hard. And it's one of the sort of driving motivations behind this podcast is I really hope that through hearing enough stories, people begin to realize like, okay, wow, like this actually is pretty normal. This actually is something that's very possible for me because it's almost like a catch 22. You can't believe it until you experience it and you don't experience it until you actually take the steps needed to help you get there. And it doesn't happen overnight. And you're absolutely, I couldn't agree more with you when you say it has to be something that you're passionate about. You know, really like, you know, a lot of people will sometimes tell me like, wow, you, you're always working. And it's like, you don't understand. I'm actually really lucky to be able to have these opportunities because this is what I would be doing anyways. Like I don't get paid for the podcast. It's not a part of anything that I do. Like you mentioned, it's not a school requirement, but I'll wake up really early in the morning and it's honestly like an amazing start to my day. I usually do most of my interviews in the morning, but it's such an incredible start to my day. Just like I mentioned before, because of the value that I'm getting from this, like the things that I'm learning in the setup and the kinks that happen and just all the other stuff. So I couldn't agree more with everything. And it educates you. Absolutely. I mean, the people you have on, um, it's just very strange, but you, you do it initially because you want to educate others, and then you realize when you're done, oh my gosh, I just got an education out of it as well. So Jim, I'd love for you to be able to share where people um, are able to find you if they would like to learn more. Yeah, so I, I'm on all social media. Um, on Twitter, it is at Jim Maroos, M-A-R-O-U-S. On LinkedIn, it's easy. It's, it's J 
Jim Marus, M-A-R-O-U-S. I write for the financial brand. That the is part of the word. I also write the digital banking report. And my podcast is Banking Transformed. Fantastic. And I will make sure to drop all those links into the show notes. Thanks so much again, Jim. Thank you. What an episode. I know that that is one I am going to revisit multiple times. I invite you to tag me and Jim online. I, as always, will share the social handles in the show notes below, but I'm really, really excited to hear your thoughts, to hear your questions about today's episode. As I was thinking about today's episode, you know, the idea of a personal brand as a tool for self-education so that you can stay relevant in the age of disruption is just such a powerful idea. Whether you are starting out in terms of thinking about creating one or whether you have an established brand, it can sometimes be really overwhelming to think about where you want to take it and how you want to grow it. This is actually one of the areas where I first began experimenting with design thinking. Through design thinking, you really develop a sense of empathy for yourself, for what challenges, needs, and opportunities you have, and also the ones that you see around you. And it's really through this empathy phase that you get the insight you need to think about where you want to take your brand and really what your voice is and what value you bring to the marketplace. By creating and iterating, you learn what works and what doesn't. You learn to find your voice. You learn what mediums and platforms are right for you. You become comfortable with ambiguity and really you kind of become comfortable that it's not knowing what all the tools and platforms are and that you're going to learn as you go. You become more confident taking risks, but above all, you become so optimistic about all the possibilities that the future holds. In the coming weeks, I'll be releasing a design thinking toolkit that you can use to build and assess your personal brand. Whether you are getting started or whether you have an established brand, this toolkit is really going to help you gain a fresh perspective on where you want to go and what you want your reputation to be in the marketplace. For updates, you can go ahead and visit askmissq.com and join the email list. Until then, I will see you with another episode next week. It's your turn to join the conversation by sharing what you enjoyed or what questions you still have. In a world where time and attention are so valuable, thank you for choosing to listen and for being a part of our Sprint to Success with Design Thinking community. 